Luke chapter 14, we're making our way through the book of Luke. And of course, Luke was written by a physician who had definitely done a lot of homework and training and figuring out what all happened. He wasn't there. He wasn't an eyewitness to these things. He had interviewed a lot of people who had been with Jesus during this time. And he gives us, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. So even though Luke was the instrument, he was moved by the Holy Ghost, just like today I took time to write a few letters with this pen right here. But uh, the pen uh, is, it didn't move itself. I moved it. I said what I wanted to say, but it was a good instrument to write what I needed to say. And, you know, Luke was the instrument God used to write what he wanted to say in this time. In Luke chapter 12, you'll see the pages turn, and now the soul has the heat turned up on the Lord Jesus Christ. He has now been ministering probably three years. He's in his last few months before he's going to go to the cross. His disciples have been with him as he picked them up one by one uh, through the process of, of after his baptism, after his uh, 40 days of fasting and prayer, he goes and begins to select his disciples. And the Lord records for us what he wants us to know in the book of Luke. In chapter 11, he teaches them the value of prayer. When he was praying, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. And he gave us the Lord's prayer. He takes out things that he has taught in other places. Of course, the great Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. Many excerpts of what he had taught there. He no doubt taught later, and Luke records them in the Holy Writ for us. But now, chapter 14, Jesus has been invited to one of the chief Pharisees' home. But not for hospitable reason, but for reasons of hostility. If you'll look in verse number 1 of chapter 14, you'll see the mindset here. Luke chapter 14, and he came to pass as he went to the house of the chief of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath day, that they watched him. They watched him. That watched him wasn't like, oh, I want to see what he does. No. They were trying to find a way to trip him up, trying to find a way to hurt him, trying to find a way to cause uh, uh, their end result was to just get rid of him completely. He did nothing but good, but they had great animosity toward him. And Jesus now is receiving that, but he goes to the chief Pharisee's place, and they eyed him. And they also brought in someone who had the dropsies. Now, the dropsy seems to be, uh, it, is a, it is a body that has been invaded by water, swelling water. Some way or another, that's a, usually it's a, a malfunction of the kidneys, malfunction of the liver, the heart, congestive heart failure. But it, it seems like there was a man there who had retained water. His legs are swelling. Um, maybe he was uh, he had a, he was swelling around his chest. I don't know. He had a dropsy. But he was there invited, possibly just to see what he would do. It was the Sabbath day. And so this man comes in front of them and of course, he had opened the Pharisee's house, and people had scurried to get to the best places to sit. There was a, in, a, in a home or in a, in a gathering, oftentimes there were couches, and, and they would sit, and there would be several places that were just known that this is the head of the table. Much like you would maybe have in your dining room table, if you had a long one, you would, you would know that dad sits at the head, and this is kind of the place where you would, you would sit there. Well, there were several places like that. And when he came to eat, it was obvious that several men felt like they needed the head places. They went to folks, folks to where they went and, and uh, got their, their, their best spot. But then there was a man there, and the Bible says that Jesus looked at the man. He knew he needed to heal him. He said, you know, is it lawful? 
for a man to be healed on the Sabbath. Now, he had already ripped off the face of the guy in the, in the chapter 12, so they didn't answer him. They didn't, they didn't answer him. They just said they didn't answer him anything. And he said, which of you would have an ox or a, a donkey that falls into a pit on the Sabbath day that you wouldn't go and bring him out of the pit? Anybody have anything to say about that? On the Sabbath day, if your donkey or your, 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 your cow and ox has fallen into a ditch, they're, they're mooing or they're, they're hee-haw, hee-haw, you know, trying to get out of that thing. He said, any of you guys wouldn't go get them? And so he asks the question, they don't answer him, and he heals the man of the dropsies. And he no longer has the, the, the bulging fluid of, in his legs or whatever it is. It's obvious that whatever was wrong with him is no longer the problem anymore. As he continues, he, he goes into our story that we see here that the Brother Duff read for us momentarily. And he'll go into several parables. He'll tell them two main parables, three maybe, in the time that he's sitting in their house. And after he heals the man, of course, he has their attention. The people cannot deny the miracle that he did. As a matter of fact, the miracles did not save people, but they set up an opportunity for people to listen to Jesus. You might remember Nicodemus said, we know that you're a teacher come from God. Why? Because no man can do these miracles that you do unless God's with him. And, of course, the miraculous healing did not necessarily save the man with dropsy, but it did set up an opportunity for them to listen to him. And so he goes into a little bit of a diatribe of a couple parables. And he addresses, first of all, their, uh, the need for humility. Look, if you would, please, at the verse of Scripture. We're looking at chapter 14. Now, in verse number 7, and he put forth a parable to those who were bidden, and uh, he marked how they, call, they uh, chose the chief rooms, saying unto them, so you guys found the chief places. I, I could see you scrambling to make sure you were in the right place. He said, but when you're bidden... To any man to a wedding, sit not down in the highest room, lest a more honorable than thou be bidden unto him, a bidden of him. And he that bade thee and him would come and say unto thee, Give this man a place that thou begin to shame, take the lowest room. And when thou art bidden, go and sit down in the lowest room. And when thou hast bade them cometh, he may say unto thee, Friend, go up to the higher. Then shalt thou have worship, shalt thou have worship, Worship in the, um, in the presence of them that sit at meat with thee. Verse number 11, would you read it with me out loud? Ready? For whosoever shall be... Of course, he's now talking with his disciples and these chief priests. So it's a little different audience. He'll come out of, the, he'll come out of that house later and many people will follow him and he'll go into uh, instructions on being a disciple. But he says here, one of the first things we need to figure out before you're ever serious about serving God is humility. How high are you on you? Humility. He said, let me just tell you, God's way up is down. He that exalted himself, he's going he's to be laying on his ear in a short time. But he that humbled himself, he can be brought to a place. And we find that throughout the scriptures. Now, pride hides. I got problems with pride, and you do too. We focus on how we think and how we feel and what we want with continual emphasis. Without pride, you don't have contention. When there's problems in a marriage, there's problems with a child and his parents, there's a problem in the Christian school, there's a problem at work, almost always you can identify somebody's got a pride problem. 
And it usually takes two to tangle. There's two of people in an issue there. Someone's holding fast to how they think and how they feel and what they want. And the Bible says, look, when you come to be invited someplace, don't seek out a place of self-exaltation. Find a place of humility. It's much better for them to say, you come up here than for you to be high and then, hey, you're going down here. Proverbs chapter 15, 33 talks about that. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5, 6, 7 talks about humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he'll lift you up. We see that in the book of James in chapter 4 and verse 6, a reminder. By the way, you have two choices when it comes to humility. You can humble yourself or you can wait to let God humble you. Let me just tell you, the latter is pretty painful. It might be better just to humble yourself. Don't make your thinking, your feelings, your desires paramount in, in your relationships. So he's just reminding him about that. Then he goes on to another parable. Let's look at that one real quickly, if you can, please. Verse number 11. And he said unto them that bade him, When thou makest a dinner or supper, call not thy friends and thy brethren, neither thy kinsmen and thy rich neighbors, lest they also bid thee again, and recompense be made to thee. He said, when you get ready to have a banquet, don't just find the rich people that you know, if you invite them, they'll invite you over. Don't just invite your own friends and your neighbors. One of the things that the Bible tells us throughout the scriptures is to care for the stranger. Those are people that you don't know, but God wants you to love them. He says, when you have a big party, that's what you do. You invite the people that you want to invite so they can reciprocate to you one day. By the way, it doesn't mean you can't invite someone, but don't make that your focus. Look at the next one, if we can, please. The Bible says in verse number 13, And when thou makest a feast, call the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind, and thou shalt be blessed. For they cannot do what? For thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. The first principle I think he's telling us here is humility. The second one is selflessness. We all think about number one. If I do this, what will happen for me? What will I get out of it? If I scratch their back, will they scratch mine? If I can, if I can do something for them, will they do something back for me? He says, look, that's not my way of thinking. I want you to do it, and I want you to do some things for people. The, when's the last time you had someone who was poor that you invited to be with you? Someone who was halt, someone who may be crippled, someone who is maimed and obviously may be disfigured. When's the last time you did something for somebody that they can do absolutely nothing for you? This church is not a perfect church, but I am thankful in the DNA of this church from its inception, it has cared for the poor. This morning, buses and vans went to go pick up people who do not have a home and brought them and fed them breakfast. They're in the service today. They'll go get lunch, and then they'll go back. Last week, as I walked out uh, about 1 o'clock, they're all waving. Pastor, thank you. I waved at them, told them I loved them, and they're heading back to their homeless Chicago. You know how much they, they give so that we can have a bus like that? You know how much they, they pay for their meal? The 85 bus routes that will go, buses that will leave on the morning to go to some place and pick up people. You know how much the people that come on those buses participate? No, it's, it's a, it's a one-way street oftentimes. Now we think the blessings that come when people grow in the Lord and they begin to become leadership and partakers of the benefit that God gives us. But I'm telling you, friend, it's important we do that as a church, but it's also very important that we do that as individuals. And Jesus said, number one, be humble. Number two, be selfless. And by the way, he says, you don't want to have everything recompensed in this time. One of the things you have to learn as a Christian, I need to learn is delayed gratification. 
Things I do now, I don't always see the benefit of it tomorrow. He said, if you'll do this, you'll be rewarded at the resurrection of the just. That's, that's the judgment seat of Christ. People who are just are people who have been forgiven by God. They won't have to answer for sin, but they'll be rewarded for God. And I tell you, many times people do not serve God, and your ceiling of commitment can be very low because of a lack of trust in the Lord. We do not trust God's rewarding process. There are people who will sit on their tithes and offerings. They don't know when's enough enough. They've got more savings than you can shake a stick at. There's a need, and they say, oh, we've got to keep our savings. never know. We never know what's going to happen. And our, and our faith is in savings when it ought to be in the Lord. I think there's wisdom in learning to save. God tells us there's treasure and oil to be desired in the dwelling of, the, of, of, a, of a wise man, but a foolish man spends it all up. But I will tell you sometimes, we oftentimes put our faith in, in finances. We put our faith in our abilities and fail to put our faith in God. And many of us do not trust God's rewarding process. Some of you are holding grudges against someone who's hurt you. You close your little blue eyes at night or your brown eyes or your, 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 your eyes at night, your hazel eyes, and all, all you can think about is a person that's hurt you. And you're holding on to what they did to you when you should release it to God. You know why you don't release it? You don't trust God. You don't, you don't trust God in, in what he can do. And learning to give over our problems to the Lord. Be careful for nothing. But everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. He said, look, there's a resurrection of the just and there's a judgment and evaluation. It's a point a man wants to die and after that, the judgment, the evaluation. He said, whenever you give to someone who can't recompense you, don't worry about it. God has kept very good track of that. And one day he'll reward you. So these people are hearing this, and boy, it's hitting them, and it's hitting the fan, if you will. It's hitting them right in the face. Humility. There's no humility in that room apart from the Lord Jesus Christ and potentially his disciples. Everybody's looking for a special place to sit so they can be higher than somebody else. When it comes to having the meal, they're looking for people that can recompense them. He says, no, do, do something because you can with no recompense in your mind except for the recompense you'll receive of the Lord Jesus. The Bible says, give to the poor. When you give to the poor, you lend to the Lord. And that which you've given him, God will certainly repay you. Do we trust God in that area? Well, he goes on to another story. Let's look at it quickly, if we can, please. Verse number 15. And when one of them that sat at meat heard these things, he said unto him, Blessed is he that eat bread in the kingdom of God. And of course, uh, here is uh, someone breaks this tense moment with a statement, Blessed is the person that eats bread in the kingdom of God with the king. So he kind of brings out a spiritual note there. And Jesus goes into another parable. Let's look at the parable, verse 16. And he said unto him, A certain man made a great supper and bade many. And he sent his servant at supper time to say that to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now what? Ready, hot and ready, just like a little Caesar's. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. And the first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground and I must needs go and what? He bought it. Then he's going to go look at it. I pray thee have me excused. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen. I've got 10 brand new oxen I bought out there. I'm going to go see how they work. I pray thee have me excused. 20. Read it with me, if you would, please. And another said, I have married a wife. Probably the wife would love to have gone to the party. 
He says, no, nah, I'm just married to wife and I can't come. So the servant came and showed his Lord these things and his master of the house uh, being what? Angry, frustrated, angry, said to the servant, go quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring hither the poor and the maim and the halt and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, yet there's more room. And he said unto the servant, well, then go out to the highways and go to the countryside. He said, first of all, go into the city and get as many people as you can. There's more room. He said, well, go out to the country, to the highways and the hedges and compel them to come into my house and may be filled. For I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. Of course, this is a very popular parable. I think there's applications to you and I specifically. I think probably it's right in the face of the chief priest. And the servant has been told to go out and tell everybody, come, it's time to eat. I think it was John the Baptist was the servant. And Jesus is now able to take care of his, of his, uh, of his own. He said, now come eat. But the Israelites, as in general, the Jews, the chief priests, the scribes, they had no interest. They gave flimsy excuses. I bought property. I can't come. I've got oxen. I've married a wife. I can't come. And they gave him a lot of flimsy excuses why they couldn't do. They couldn't come. And it frustrated the man who prepared the, uh, the meal. It frustrated him. He said, you know what? Forget it. Don't get these guys to come. Go out into the city streets and find the poor, the blind, the maimed, the halt. Get them to come. And the servant went out and got all these folks. And, of course, they represent the Gentile nation. They represent the Samaritans. They represent other people outside the Jewish world. Get them to come. And he said, okay, we've got them to come. And there's still extra places at the table. So then go out to the countryside, the highways and the hedges, and get them to come, that my house may be filled. And, of course, I think that. Now, I think there's also an application to you and I today. Because God has, this is the reason why people do not come to Christ, and it's sometimes the reason why you and I do not serve the Lord. I think the application is secondary, but I think it's important to understand. When someone is invited to come to the Lord, and I've, as I told you, I got a witness to several friends this week uh, in my time away, but, you know, each of them have different excuses why, why they can't. In this story, one chose possessions. I bought property. I'm in real estate. I got this. I bought it. I haven't even seen it. I've got to go see what I might have bought over there. I'm sure that happens from time to time, but it's a little lame. Some people don't serve Christ because of their possessions are way too important to them. Another side says, you know what? I, I bought five yoke of oxen. I've got to go plow the field, see how they do. They let their work be way too important to them. Some people, it's the finances, materialism, it's money and possessions that stands a huge obstacle to keep them from coming to Christ or serving Christ faithfully. In this room, there are people like that. I don't know who they are, but I imagine if the shoe fits, you should wear it. If the shoe doesn't fit, I'm going to still try to get on your foot. <laughs> Nonetheless, uh, we, find that, um, we find that some people, they don't serve God because they let possessions be an obstacle. Some people, they let their work be an obstacle. They love that verse. He doesn't care for his own house. It's worse than infidel in the night of faith. Listen, Spanky, that's talking about caring for your elderly parents. 
and loved ones. That's not talking about most of us. We don't have any problem. None of us are starving to death. We can look at each other and tell that. We're good. We're caring for our own. Well, I have to work Sunday because I just got to do what I have to do. No, no, no. Most of you, that's not our problem. It's a choice. It's a decision. We let work. When we could do something for God, no, we let her work. We let the, oh, we've got some oxen. We've got to deal with the oxen. Then others of us let the relationships. And this particular guy, he goes, I married a wife, man. I'm, I'm a husband now. I, I can't go. And we don't take our families along on the journey. We use them as an excuse. I've seen precious young people pray for God to give them a baby. God gives them a baby, and now they quit going to church faithfully. Oh, I don't want to put them in the nursery. I don't know. I can't even die. Let me just remind you. Children are a heritage of the Lord. They belong to Him. Don't let your kids be. Don't let your relationships with your family and things keep you from serving the Lord. And that's what He tells them in this passage of Scripture. He said, because there's a job to be done, and there's people to be reached. And all of us don't want to put up our excuses of possessions or our occupations or our work or our relationships and use them as excuses. You know, God's pretty good at taking away excuses. He can do that. He said, this is the reason why people rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. For sake of time, we need to go, but I want to talk to you real quickly about the next passage of Scripture. I'm just going to give you some high points, and we're going home this morning. Let's look, if we can, please, at verse number 25. And the Bible says, And there went a great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, If any man will come after me and hate not his father and mother and his wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, his own life also, he cannot be my what? And whoso does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sits not down first and counteth the what? Whether ye have sufficient to build it. He's going to now, he's left the house. He's left the house of the chief, uh, the Pharisee, and he's worn out. And people are following him. They're going with him as he goes. And as they follow him, he turns and says to them, let's talk about discipleship. See, every disciple is a believer. Every disciple is saved. But not every saved person is a disciple. You might want to ask yourself, am I a disciple of Jesus Christ? That's a disciplined follower of Jesus. As he turns and uh, the crowd is following him and his 12 disciples from that abode and they may be going out to a field, he turns and says, look, guys, if you don't treasure me, above your mama and your daddy and your sister and your brother, your own life also, you're not worthy to be my disciples. He uses the word hate in the English language. I'm glad, I'm glad God, I believe God put that in the, in the Bible, and I love our King James Version. I believe it's there. But, it, it, you know, you look at hate, you can think of someone who just detests someone. But in this case, I think it's someone who prefers if you prefer, if you use your mama, your daddy, your husband, your wife, your kids as an excuse why you can't, and you, you, you love them over your, your Savior, you can be saved. You can be a believer, but you'll not be a disciple. And even our own life also. You know, I think there's one thing God wants from his disciples. And I heard this this week, and I was so glad. I read this, this passage of Scripture probably 50 times this week. But I thought this interesting. One thing God wants from his disciples, he doesn't need our talent. He doesn't need your big bucks. You know what he wants? He wants my will. He wants my will. And many of us, we don't serve God because our will is way too strong. 
we will not get out of the driver's seat. We want to make sure that he's either in the passenger seat, in the back seat, or maybe even in the trunk. Just don't touch the steering wheel. I got, I got places I want to go. I got things I want to do. He said, look, if you're going to be my disciple, you're going to have to prefer me over other things, even your own will. And then you're going to have to pick up a cross. Now, many of you beautiful ladies, you have a cross and earrings, or you have a cross necklace, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But me, I tell you, whenever the disciples heard cross, they didn't think, oh, yeah, I want to put one of those on my necklace. No, the cross was an instrument of torture, sacrifice, pain, difficulty, trial. And they would make, the Roman people would make a person carry his cross to his crucifixion as they did Jesus. And it's not going to be a walk in the park. And the reason we don't faithfully be, we're not a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ is one word, cost. What does it cost me to yield my will? And what is it going to cost me to be the disciple God wants me to be? I think many of you are believers, and I am too. But are we good, disciplined followers of Jesus? As he ends the chapter, he just says, look, guys, no man builds a tower without considering, do I have enough money to build this tower? If not, it'll be half built, and it'll be a mockery every time when people drive by. Yeah, John built that. Look what happened. It's not even finished yet. No man going to war, if he has 10,000, will... If he's got 20,000 on the other side there he's facing, will not calculate, hang on a second, maybe I ought to make peace with this person rather than try to bite him. And then he talks about salt. You are salt, and the salt is here for purification, preservation. It's there to keep clean. It's there to provoke thirst in other people. But if salt lost its savor, all they do is just throw it on the gravel road and run over it with vehicles and tires, and wagon wheels. He said, you gotta, you got to be salt in your community. And you're not going to be salt in the community unless we're disciples first. And we're not going to be disciples until we're believers first. So can I remind you with that statement? All disciples are believers. But not all believers are. Are you a disciplined follower of Jesus? Are you humble? Are you selfless? Do you trust God's rewarding process? Do you allow materialism and relationships and work to keep you from surrendering to what God wants you to do? You're going to find out if you're salt that's going to be used or salt that's just going to be tread upon. It's not going to be worthless. Our self-worth and the work and the economy of God rest heavily upon my desire to yield my will to the Lord and count the cost and love him enough to prefer him over any others. This is a hard message today. Could you imagine hearing it from the words of the Lord Jesus? May God speak to our hearts today. Let's bow our heads and pray, can we? With our heads bowed on.